Welcome to the Let's Get Sensory podcast. My name is Kelsey and I'm an occupational therapist, sensory specialist, and ADHD. -er. If you're looking to up-level you and your kids' lives by learning how to live a sensory lifestyle to help with attention, anxiety, hyperactivity, and impulsivity, then you've come to the right place. So here we go. Let's get sensory. Welcome back to Let's Get Sensory. So it's been a little while since I've actually sat down to record an episode and to be completely honest and just to go ahead and dive in, it's because I've been experiencing a whole lot of demand avoidance. Definitely one of the most demand avoidant experiences that I've had like the past 10 years, not including my pre-sensory therapy era because I used to experience it really, really bad. I used to experience demand avoidant depression, some that I'll talk about a little bit later and it feels so freeing to be finally be able to say that I'm on the mend and not in the depths of demand avoidance in that free state and flight state and finally feel ready to share about my experience. Also side note really quick before I get started. So in the beginning it's going to sound maybe like it's an episode about ABA therapy and like I'm completely against the ABA therapy model but really this episode is all about demand avoidance, not ABA. However, I am still going to share my most recent ABA experience just because it made it like so very clear exactly what triggers demand avoidance and then also on the opposite of that, what helps demand avoidance. But first, before I get into all of that, I have to give you the backstory. So some of you may already know that I work as a contractor in clinics and schools around Atlanta and at the beginning of the school year, I agreed to see some students at a nearby school. However, what I did not know before going in is that this was a completely ABA ran school, like ABA style school. And to preface, up until this point, you know, I've worked with lots of different RBTs and BCBAs. I have friends who are RBTs and BCBAs. Um, Most of this was in school settings. And actually, my very first time getting to learn about ABA was when I was working at what is the only pediatric therapy clinic on the entire island of Jamaica. And if you've been with me for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Lisa Milligan, one of my favorite OTs ever, and how she's just been one of the most impactful OTs and mentors that I ever had as an OT student. She was a huge sensory advocate and is really just such an inspiration to me, like to this very day. So she was from Jamaica, born in Jamaica, and then went to, I think, high school, college, and then grad school in Australia, went to OT school, graduated, and then went back to Jamaica, bringing the beautiful field of occupational therapy with her. And also, if you didn't already know, my parents are Jamaican, so I'm 100% Jamaican, lived there for some time. Um, My family also, if you didn't know this already, also has a history of ADHD, not formally diagnosed because being formally diagnosed with ADHD just wasn't a thing, especially back in their day as well, but just to have a history of sensitive nervous systems. But of course, Growing up in Jamaica didn't have any resources at all. And on top of that, Jamaica has very strict schools. So my dad, who is ADHD, OCD, growing up being paddled frequently by his teachers if he did anything wrong. So long story short, to give a little glimpse at what life was like being neurodivergent in an island like Jamaica back in the day. So you can see why I'm so thankful for Lisa, this OT, and everything she's done for the island, for Jamaica. 
and for my neurodivergent fam back in Jamaica. And so what she ended up doing was just going around to schools around the island providing sensory education and training. She has opened up two clinics. Last time I checked, maybe there's more now, but two pediatric therapy clinics on the island. She's amazing and I learned so much from her and she really was just like such an incredible teacher. I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to work for her and learn from her. And so she did something that I think was a really brilliant idea. So she actually went back to school to get another master's in educational psychology and also become a BCBA on top of being an occupational therapist, a sensory occupational therapist. And so she had the plan to help Jamaicans wanting to go into the field to become registered behavioral technicians, so RBTs, and then she would also personally train them to work at her clinics on things like sensory, gross motor, just all the different therapy things. So really these were sensory trained RBTs. So it was like a sensory ABA model um, in one way of looking at it. So long story short, when I was first introduced to ABA therapy, it was one that looked very similar to occupational therapy and they were very sensory minded and OT minded and of course I would later meet wonderful RBTs and BCBAs in school which mostly would look like the occasional RBT accompanying me to my sessions so I had some instances in seeing and witnessing some of the harm of the ABA approach but mostly it was what I had taught myself by researching and reading stories of autistic adults and parents of autistic kids just sharing their stories of ABA and while I want to preface that I'm not here to say no ABA ever because I have personally seen a lot of BCBAs and RBTs who are extremely passionate about changing the field and who are huge sensory advocates and focused on building self-esteem and just really prioritize our kids' sensory needs. Like one of the coolest ABA clinics that I've been to and got to see a few clients at was the style where it had a bunch of different rooms. It had a sensory room, it had a car and transportation room, it had an art room, it had a music room, a building room, um, like a block and building room and all these different themed rooms where kids were allowed to choose what room they wanted to go to. Like at any point of the day, they could choose what room they wanted to go to and then the therapist and then just like turning their preferences into therapy and so turning those into educational moments as well. So just witnessing how the ABA world is changing and how it has the capacity to create a beautiful environment where kids can really thrive. So by sharing the story, I just want to share that again, this is one about demand avoidance and how it occurs and what triggers it and also to know what to look out for if you're considering ABA therapy and just my personal opinion as a sensory trainer trauma occupational therapist. So really ABA is just a small part of the story and it's really all about demand avoidance. So I have worked in so many different pediatric therapy settings over the last decade and I have personally never experienced this level of demand avoidance as I did when I was working in this clinic. And so Demand avoidance is something that I am personally very familiar with and also have worked with so many kids experiencing demand avoidance and with PDA profile. When I started working at this ABA school and seeing some kids at this ABA school, I was curious as to why these kids were experiencing such extreme demand avoidance. And I found myself after these particular days feeling more drained than I 
have ever before. And just to review, I've worked at so many different clinics and settings over the past decade. And I've previously was working two full-time jobs. I've been in schools and working with kids and I've never experienced this level of demand avoidant and witnessed it before. And sure, I may have had some days that were harder than others, but it wasn't like every single time like this. And as a highly sensitive person and empath, I feel the emotions of my clients very deeply and really take on how they're feeling. It is how I connect with them. It is how I learn what their nervous system needs are. It's an important part of what I do. And I believe what makes me as a highly sensitive person and fellow neurodivergent such a good therapist. Especially as a new therapist, one of the things I really had to learn was how to develop boundaries surrounding this and practices so I wasn't completely drained by the end of the day. Going home, not just because of the physical demands of being a pediatric OT, but the emotional demands as being a highly sensitive OT working with highly sensitive kids. But anyways, I was coming home from days working at this ABA school feeling completely and emotionally exhausted. I would come home experiencing just extreme demand avoidance and it was really kind of zero to 100 and just like that demand avoidance, just getting off the couch when I got home, taking a shower, just like the all of these tasks like cooking, cleaning, just everything felt like such a threat and I was just in such that freeze state in that flight state just like wanting to run, escape that anxiety and which side note, I also for years struggled with depression and so also very familiar with the difference between depression related demand avoidance and then general demand avoidance and there were also a few things that were very clear that were causing my extreme demand avoidance and also the kids working at the clinic. The first factor has everything to do with self-esteem. This particular clinic utilized a frequent correction approach. So this is one that is very connected to the ABA model, which means that whenever a child made a mistake, they were correcting them. They were saying, do this, say this, focus. And not just whenever they made a mistake, but just like that throughout the day, the constant corrections, the constant directions, like do this, do that, do that. Say hello, say bye. While all the kids had one-on-one attention, the entire day which you're probably like one-on-one like that's so amazing all these kids have someone to work with them one-on-one at every day which definitely has its benefits and has the potential of being so powerful in certain scenarios but there is a downside and potential harm to this as well like one-on-one therapist with the child all day every day also means that this child is going to have that feeling like there's constant eyes on them and not just in that parental or babysitting way but more of a boss dynamic like that one-on-one attention where you feel like you just have to be on 24-7, that feeling like I have to perform and that feeling like you're kind of like walking on eggshells because you don't want to be corrected. You don't want to make a mistake. You're like, what mistake am I going to do now? It's kind of like that feeling like if you've ever been doing a presentation in front of your boss, in front of all your coworkers and you're just feeling all that extra pressure and just imagine having your own boss watching you perform all day and just constantly correcting you how that would feel as an adult and just kind of comparing it to that, what that can feel like for our kids experiencing it. Again, this is with certain matchups. Again, you can have some bosses that are like, you got this, make you feel good, lift you up. So that matchup is really everything here. And although it was done with good intentions in many of these kids, what was happening is they were mentally experiencing more losses or more mistakes compared to more wins. And this is something that happens with that kind of constant correction that can come with that ABA 
day therapy model. And each time they were corrected or even just directed to do something, a lot of times that can come with that gut feeling like we are making a mistake, that we are doing something wrong. And for sensitive kids and sensitive adults who feel things deeply, it's so important that there needs to be this healthy balance where they are experiencing wins, experiencing success, help boost their self-esteem over the amount of times that they're feeling that feeling like they made a mistake, that feeling of losses. And so we need to be feeling successful more than that feeling like we failed, like we made a mistake. And in the OT world, we call this the just right challenge. And the thing is, a lot of times we only focus on the big losses, like the moments when a child gets in trouble for maybe a meltdown or something like that. But in the psychological world and the sensory world, it includes way more than just like those big moments where a child is in trouble. It includes those moments where we're corrected, where we make a mistake, and that just like those moments where we feel like we're not good enough, like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing kind of thing. And like for my fellow sensitive adults, like think of those moments when you were an adult or a child and felt like you made a mistake. For me, one example that comes to mind, and of course many to choose from here, but it was when I got in trouble in school for saying a bad word, calling another kid a bad word when I was in second grade. And this was also at a Christian school, so you know they did not take this lightly at all. And I remember this so vividly, like I don't remember really anything from second grade, but I remember every little detail of this experience and the amount of shame I felt, like the intense, intense amount of shame I felt afterwards. And now looking back, when I've gone back and I've done sensory trauma reprocessing therapy after this event, I can see so clearly now that I never deserve to feel this level of shame especially being a little sensitive ADHD impulsive child that literally could not control anything that was coming out of my mouth at seven years old and now seeing and understanding that these teachers, students, principals, they didn't know better and they were educated, didn't have that education on neurodivergence and how highly sensitive kids feel things way more deeply. Like let's say during these events, they thought they were probably shaming me on a scale from zero to 10. They were like, okay, okay, this deserves a level seven amount of shame. But what they didn't realize is that me, highly sensitive kiddo over here, what they thought was a level seven, a level seven amount of shame, I was feeling at a level 100, that feeling of shame at an intense level 100 because I felt things so deeply. And this is so important to remember. And even when kids don't show it, I promise that they are still feeling it. And if you look closely, you can see all the ways they are conveying that they feel shame, that they're feeling the shame that is really having a huge role and impact in their demand avoidance, which we think demand avoidance is just like not wanting to do an activity, but demand avoidance is really so much more than that. It can conclude, you know, difficulty listening, so difficulty following directions. It can impact our visual attention. It really impacts so much more than we realize. And so the important takeaway is for any demand avoider, look at how much success and encouragement they're feeling compared to the amount of shame correction and how often their mistakes are being emphasized and how often they're reminded that they made a mistake. So if you look at it and kind of visualize it like a scale and like you want the amount of encouragement and praise and that feeling of success and like you're doing a good job to be way, way, way more than the amount of times that you're feeling like you made a mistake and that feeling of shame that we feel 
feel so deeply, so intensely that comes with that. So back to the ABA school, it wasn't just my kids feeling of shame and their demand avoidance that I was taking on. There was another component there also influencing this. That being that I felt way more shame at this location, working at this location than I have since I first entered this field over a decade ago when I was 17 year old intern, just first starting out. So we all know here that my approach is unique in the sense that in many ways, it is the exact opposite approach than the traditional ABA therapy model. And with that comes a lot of people or came a lot of people at the school, particularly looking down at my approach and just like not understanding my approach is really the better way of explaining it. And which of course is not the first time I've encountered this. I've encountered it too many times to count, but, but instead of really just like, you know, one to two people, it was like an entire school. I was feeling that way, just getting that kind of explicit and implicit feedback that I needed to stop babying them. I needed to be more stern, like be more tough, which they call it babying. I call it science, aka science based on building trust, rewiring limiting beliefs, strengthening our nervous systems. And a child would be experiencing demand avoidance, maybe eloping, running away, or demand avoidance that might even be physical, just like that huge feeling like it is a threat and that I need to fight in order to protect myself from this threat against this task or whatever it may be. So let's say I'd be working with a child who was known for eloping, just trying to run away. And I would sit there and rub their back, give them deep pressure, just really focus on helping them feel safe and reconnect to feel seen, to feel understood. And I would hear feedback like, well, I can't be doing that all time, like all day. Or just comments where you can, no comments, like no specific comments, but you can still feel the shade, feel the judgment. And so it finally clicked that I'm feeling a similar shame that these kids are feeling. Like I can't do anything right in their eyes. And I was only there not even two full days a week. Like I was only going to this clinic or to the school two days a week. And the mental impact it had on me was huge. Environment for demand avoiders is so, so important. So this is the second really main factor. And being in an environment where we feel hope, we feel successful, where we feel safe, where we experience more praise than shame. And I see this happening all the time. If anybody is watching the new season of Below Deck Mediterranean, so there's this deckhand on this new season named Max. I think that's his name. And he's talked openly over the season about how he's diagnosed with ADHD when he was a child. And on the show, you can constantly see him working out, just randomly doing like push-ups, just randomly doing workouts all the time. And of course, they highlight it on the show to make it seem like it's a little weird. But really, I am like, yes, Max knows his nervous system like look at him doing his own kind of like sensory therapy getting that deep pressure that proprioceptive input like that likely keeps him happy focused regulated and so max was actually a bosun like previously his previous experience was a bosun which is the position that is in charge of all the deckhands so he's got experience like he is very knowledgeable and what happened so far in the season is that he has been viewed like he's at the bottom of the totem pole and like all the other deckhands have been extra 
extra hard on him, just throwing lots of shade and just being extra hard on him. And you can see slowly over the episodes that Max is shutting down more and more and to the point where they start calling Kim lazy and they just keep on harping on this. Like he's being lazy, he's being lazy. And I swear, like the word's been just thrown out so many times it was triggering for me to hear. And to me watching that, I'm like, that is absolutely not laziness. That's demand avoidance. That dysregulated nervous system triggered demand avoidance. And that is a direct product of shame because you know what happened in the last episode, the most recent episode is the bosun, the one who's in charge, Luca is like, oh wow, Max is working so much harder now. Like he's doing so much better. Who would have known that all I had to do was just give him some praise, give him some positive feedback. And me watching is like on the other side of the screen, just cheering Max on and also like, thank God for Luca because now hopefully, I don't know because it's the season's still going on, but hopefully they're going to create that just right environment for Max to really shine and to help balance out that scale, give him more praise than compared to beforehand, how he was feeling way more shame. And consequently that was activating and intensifying his demand avoidance. And so environment is just everything and little changes can be so huge. Even that little compliment for Max or those few compliments for Max from Luca just went such a long way. And so like during my sessions, if you ever listen in on one of my sessions, I am praising kids like crazy. And I have very specific, very precise praise, but I'm giving it all the time during my 30, 60 minute sessions, knowing that that goes a long way, way longer than we think. Like just one compliment really can go so far. And for adults, another beautiful form to increase your praise bucket. If you're feeling like you're feeling like your scale is off balance, like you're feeling way more shame than you are feeling encouragement, success, praise. And so one way to help balance this out and to help raise that back up is to maybe see a therapist, a talk therapist, someone that you can talk to where you can release. You can also receive that positivity, that encouragement. That is just one powerful method. And moral of the story though is that environment is so important. I see it all the time. Small environmental changes causing these huge shifts, these miraculous shifts. Like one example and one thing that I love to see is even just a child that goes from being in one classroom where they're having extreme meltdowns. They are headbanging. They are hurting themselves. They are just having all of these intense dysregulation. And then all of a sudden switching classrooms to where all of a sudden, like a miracle, just having way less meltdowns. They're talking way more. They're saying their ABCs. They're having way more of that joint attention, that connection, because they feel safer. They're more opening to trusting those around them, the people around them. And they're listening better and following directions better because their demand avoidance has subsided. They feel safer in their environment. They feel like they have more autonomy. They're experiencing that feeling of success, which feels so good. You know how that's one of the best feelings. Like after you just got a hundred on a test or you just did something you feel just super proud of yourself they feel seen they feel understood they feel appreciated all of these things are so extremely important for us demand avoiders and for me I know in that location where I was working I felt like max like I know my worth I know my ability and even just two days a week working in a toxic environment was making it to where I would come home feeling so incredibly drained I didn't want to do anything I didn't want to shower I didn't want to eat I didn't want to exercise I didn't want to move my body for those of us that 
feel things deeply that goes to show how much like these small and trivial things can throw us off and like the neurotypical response would be to suck it up like it's only two days like just deal with it but for me a neurodivergent that feels things deeply and really respects this about myself the truth is and especially once you learn the science behind it there's no unseeing it like you'll really see how this is evidence-based like this is facts but the truth is it is it is not just small or trivial occurrences but it is traumatic it is an events that are causing intense trauma responses and there have been many times in my life where I had zero control over my, my environment leading me to experiencing extreme demand avoidance depression and just these times where I couldn't get out of bed and I was just severely depressed and during these times it was especially hard because I had zero idea what was happening to me I had no idea what was going on inside my body I didn't know any strategies I didn't know any way of helping making it better I didn't know what dysregulation was I didn't know what sensory was all of this was the pre-sensory therapy era my pre-sensory therapy era didn't know had no idea what demand avoidance was which just really makes it a hundred times more scary when you're living through it and experiencing it which is why I quickly realized when I connected the dots and I realized exactly what was happening that for my own mental health and my own nervous system health my own sensory health I needed to find a healthy environment for me I wasn't able to give my kids 100% I wasn't able to give myself 100% I wasn't able to give my business 100% and where my motivation is to create change and to spread awareness about sensory therapy and demand avoidance and dysregulation and how to help our mental health and dysregulation through a sensory and trauma perspective which is why I left and I'm now at a job where my sensory approach is appreciated I feel seen I feel understood I feel safe I had actually a therapist of over 25 years tell me on my first week and applaud my approach and also just talk about how we shared the same exact beliefs and methods and just also directors from the school also coming and telling me that and parents and I feel like it was just one of those winks from God like okay I'm in the right place like God has my back I have my energy back it is the most freeing feeling to find that just right environment and especially after experiencing that just previously and so you may have already heard which I announced a few weeks ago but I am doing a demand avoidance workshop inside my sensory therapy retreat online membership for practitioners parents and neurodivergent adults inside the workshop you will learn an entirely new perspective of demand avoidance you will learn my very specific step-by-step demand avoidance protocol you will gain access to my demand avoidance evaluation that you can use to help see what specific areas are causing demand avoidance and you will have also the opportunity to talk with me meet with me one-on-one where I can answer questions and give personalized advice specific to your situation the workshop is Tuesday November 21st and of course the replay will be available inside the portal you can find all the information in the show notes so demand avoidance something to just know is that this is relatively new like it just came out in 1980s so it's only been around for not even 50 years and it was first and really up until this day was like very specific to autistic kids and autistic adults but now everyone is quickly realizing that demand avoidance is commonly experienced by many neurodivergent adults and kids and they are realizing and understanding more and more and expanding what demand avoidance is what it entails what it needs in order to really help get to that root of that demand avoidance and so if you are a parent a practitioner if you experience demand avoidance yourself 
yourself, like me. Understanding it is one of the most important things and best things you can do. One of the most empowerful, empowering things you can do. It will change how you view everything, how you view yourself, how you view your kids, how you view your clients. Because when we don't understand it, it can come with a lot of shame. It can come with a lot of feeling of frustration that stems from that misunderstanding, that lack of awareness, feeling that I know all too well from decades of memories from the first two decades of my life, I have honestly never been more excited for a workshop. So get ready to cry with me, to heal, to release, to empower, to strengthen our nervous systems. I'm coming to you feeling so recharged, feeling more hope, more energy than I felt in months. So you know it's going to be epic. If you are struggling with demand avoidance, please, please, please don't feel like you need to do this alone. What you are going through is the opposite of easy. Nothing about it is easy. It is traumatic. I'm going to validate that. I'm going to say it again because it is true. It is traumatic. It is even harder because the world doesn't understand, doesn't get it, doesn't know what to do when we're experiencing it. But I promise there is hope. I have seen so many different kids, adults experienced it personally, and there is always hope. There is always help. And there is no one more deserving than you. So if you, like me, have felt shame, have felt undeserving, just know that it is false. It is a lie and that couldn't be farther from the truth. So just know that you absolutely shouldn't have to go through this alone. You deserve someone to hold your hand through this. You are so incredibly deserving. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be back. Let me know what you thought about this episode and if there are any more topics that you would like to hear about on the podcast, DM me on my Instagram, sensory underscore therapist. I love you guys so much and I'll see you soon. Yeah.